Today is uh, the 23rd of uh, August, 2008, and we're looking at Lesson 2 of our study, uh, It's Not What You Think, It's What You Do. May you be blessed, our Rock, our King and Redeemer, Creator of Holy Ones. May your name be praised forever, our King, O Fashioner of Ministering Angels, all whose ministering angels stand at the summit of the universe and proclaim with awe together loudly the words of the living God, the King of the universe. They are all beloved. They are all flawless. They are all mighty. They all do the will of their maker with dread and reverence. And they all open their mouths in holiness and purity, in song and hymn and bless, praise, glorify, revere, sanctify, and declare the kingship of the name of God, the great, mighty, and awesome King, holy is he. Then they all accept upon themselves the yoke of heavenly sovereignty from one another and grant permission to one another to sanctify the one who formed them with tranquility, with clear articulation, and with sweetness. All of them proclaim as one his holiness and say with awe, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tsevaot. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Master of legions. The whole world is filled with his glory. Then the Ophanim and the Holy Chayot, with great noise, raise themselves towards the seraphim. Facing them, they give praise, saying, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. To the blessed God, they shall offer sweet melodies. To the King, the living and enduring God, they shall sing hymns and proclaim praises. For he alone effects mighty deeds, makes new things, is master of wars, sows kindnesses, makes salvations flourish, creates cures, is too awesome for praise, is Lord of wonders. In his goodness, he renews daily, perpetually, the work of creation. As it is said, give thanks to him who makes the great luminaries for his kindness endures forever. Or Kadash al Sion Tair, may you shine a new light on Zion, and may we all speedily merit its light. Blessed are you, Lord, who fashions the luminaries. Amen. Father, we ask that you might bless our time together as we study, that you might open your word for us, that we might, like the angels above, might take your yoke of sovereignty upon us. Father, that as king, we might bow our knee to you in word and in deed. Father, I pray that you might bless us with your presence. Father, I thank you for your opportunity, the opportunity that you have given to us to worship you. May we worship you not only with our lips, but may we worship you with our hands and our feet. Father, may we worship you with our arms. May we uh, embrace one another and show one another the love that you have shown to us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, we're looking this uh, week at, by the way, that was from uh, Shakarit, uh, both from the weekday and from the, Shema, uh, from the uh, Shabbat, um, from Blessings for the Shema. Uh, that's what we're looking at today. Hear and obey. And uh, one of the things that the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Numbers chapter 15, the three paragraphs of the Shema, one of the things that the Shema is called is the taking of the yoke of the kingdom. Uh, uh, it's an interesting, interesting phrase, especially in light of... Uh, Yeshua's comment um, that says, where he said, take my yoke upon me. To take the yoke of someone, to take the yoke of them, is to say that you will, in fact, accept uh, the instructions from them. Uh, a master gives his disciples a yoke. Now, it's not different instructions from what God has given, but a master gives instructions. He says, this is the way that God has commanded us, and this is the way that I obey it. 
Yeah, and that taking that yoke, then that's as we would call the word halakha or how to walk it out. It's to take the it's to take the instructions of God and how you how you accomplish it. An example is how how do you rest on Shabbat? God gives us very little instruction in how to rest. He just tells us to stop. He tells us not to uh, light a fire, and uh, by extension says do not do not. Uh, um, both your maidservant and your manservant should also rest. So by extension, we, we understand commerce should cease. And in fact, Nehemiah gives us that as well. He closes the Damascus Gate because he's sick of seeing people on Shabbat selling their wares, which if you go to Jerusalem today, that's exactly what you'll see. But it's not Jews that are doing it. Um, uh, the, the Damascus Gate is in, in East Jerusalem, and it's always open, especially on Shabbat. Kind of like the thumb in the eye. Uh, but the, the fact is that those, that's all that God has really given us in the instructions too. How do you do it? How, 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 can you, how can you rest? How do you mark the time? How do you declare it to be holy, sanctify it? Well, the how and traditions associated with that, that's, that's the halakha. That's how you do it. Well, to take the yoke of a master is to take his halakha and say, this is, I want to do it the way he does it. Yeshua gives us great halakha. And that's actually throughout the Gospels. We get great instructions on how, in fact, that we can obey God. Uh, but how is it that the angels obey? How is it that they take the yoke of the kingdom of heaven? And we see that did they have a choice? And yet they still do. I mean, the point is that it's still declared to be something precious and good in God's sight, even though free will, as we would understand it, is not necessarily granted to them some today. And yet, that's still declared to be praise. You read Isaiah chapter 6. They were created to glorify Him, and in the fulfilling of their purpose, He is glorified. Whether they have a choice or not. Yes? Yes, they may have. They may have. But today, we would say they have no choice. They, they have no free will today. They certainly continue. Uh, they, we don't see them uh, defecting, as it were, in Scripture today. So... This idea of obeying his voice to Shema, uh, the taking on of the yoke, the Shema, the paragraph that the three paragraphs of the Shema considered taking on the yoke, is this idea of I accept his kingship, I accept that he's king, that he has the right, but more importantly, because I have a choice, I choose to be a subject. I choose to be a subject. I choose to glorify him by what I say and what I do. So that's what we're looking at today: to hear and to obey. The correlation. And in fact, they're the same word in Hebrew. Shema is to hear. Shema is to obey. Let's look at that. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And that is the word Shema. Uh, it's interesting here. This is after the, uh, the uh, offering up of Isaac, what is called the Akedah, the offering up or the binding, the binding of Isaac. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing is that God, God says that he sees, uh, because Abraham has done this thing, uh, did God not know his heart? Could God have not stopped it sooner? You know, wasn't it enough to know what he would do? Why did he have to carry it through, right? In fact, why did he have to carry it through in such a confusing way? 
Have we not been commanded not to offer up our children as the pagans offer up their children? Certainly, this is a confusing thing. I mean, no matter how you, no matter how you look at it, it's a difficulty. It's a great difficulty. It must have made a point on Isaac, though. It made a point on Isaac. And in fact, Judaism recognizes that, the, that Isaac's faith was superior. That Isaac's faith was, in fact, great in his offer, allowing himself to be offered up. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Abraham was convinced he had that trust to That's right. If, if he had to kill Isaac, mm-hmm. if, that's right. Hashem would have resurrected him. That's right. Because and that's, the promise was to Isaac. That's right. And in fact, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in fact, that Abraham had the faith that he would be resurrected and actually uses the phrase a parable, in a parable, which means that it's almost as if there was a, and in fact there was a tradition that Isaac did die and was resurrected. And it's from that that the writer of the Hebrews actually says, it doesn't matter whether that really happened or not because Abraham acted as if it had. Abraham acted as if, you know, this was it, but God would resurrect him. Uh, so yes, his faith was his faith was great, no question about it. But the point here is Abraham heard God's voice, heard, heard God's voice, and obeyed Him. In your seed, look at the result, cause and effect. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed My voice. How is what is the faith of Abraham? It is the faith of obedience. He didn't just say, "I believe in the one God," and go about his business and attend a congregation uh, once a week. It wasn't enough for him. He didn't raise his hand and say, I believe. Weren't there ten tests according to the uh, Yes, uh, and, and certainly this is the tenth test. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's move on. Uh, last week, of course, we looked at fearing God. There's a correlation here, and we're going to see this. a great correlation. You really can't obey until you fear him. You can't obey. Uh, so, so the idea that uh, there's any one of these words in and of themselves aren't sufficient. Uh, they, they, all, they all derive from each other. Same source. They all derive from our responsibility to God. That's it. We have a responsibility to Him. Um, what we're going to look at today, of course, is hear and obey. Um, to hear, this pictograph, uh, first of all, Shema, to hear in Hebrew, is spelled with a sheen, a mem, and an ayin. And uh, the pictograph, or the pictures for each of those letters, represents, first of all, the sheen, uh, oftentimes, not always in these words, but oftentimes represents the name of God. And that, that's derived from the name El Shaddai, which is God Almighty, or the Almighty One. Uh, there actually is no English translations for Shaddai. Um, it's actually a word of uncertain uh, uh, origin. Um, there's actually a lot of theories we're going to get into later on in this book about what the word means. Uh, but it is often translated almighty. He's almighty. The sheen on a mezuzah, the sheen on tefillin, um, are marks which represent the name of God. So it's the sheen is a representation of the name of God. And that comes from uh, many different places, but this is one of them. So the word shema and the mem, the mem or the, or the m sound in shema is oftentimes seen as something that's fluid or, or encircling or overwhelming. And then the ayin is to see or to comprehend. So from that we can derive uh, an additional, which is very actually very important, a comprehension or a seeing of his name. To understand his name. To obey him is to understand his name. Yes, like that seems kind of... Okay, I understand who he is. Actually, if you understand who he is, you will obey him. <laughs> 
It goes, what, fear, as we saw two weeks ago. That's right. Um, it, it reveals his character, though. This is the thing about his name. You know, there's no, uh, excuse me for using the word, but there's no magic in the name of God. Uh, it's, not, it's not as if, and some people believe that, hey, if I just can pronounce his unpronounceable or his uh, ineffable name, more importantly. Uh, today it's unpronounceable because we don't know what, what the letters, what the vowel sounds are. But the point is, if I could just pronounce it, that'll be, it's like, it's like magic. I can say it. Uh, we have dear brothers and sisters say the same thing. If I, say, if I pray in Jesus' name, if I say those magical words, it will have meaning. Or in fact, or the other way is, if I don't say those words, it's not really a prayer. Well, that's actually a misunderstanding of the word and the, and the idea behind the name of someone. To pray in the name or to name the name or, to, or as Numbers chapter 6, uh, the ironic benediction says, I will place my name upon them. It's not as if there's some magic in his name. It's his, it's his character. It's who he is. It's the essence of his being, if there is such a thing. In, in, our, in our limited understanding and the use of language, it's hard to even describe God what is, what is it about him? How can we describe him other than with the words that he's used himself? You know, the attributes that he's named. And even those are insufficient because they're still just language. You know, they don't ever get to the essence of it. Do you understand? If you do not, do not obey him, if you do not shema him, you cannot know him. This relationship comes from the taking upon yourself his sovereignty. He's king. How many times do we say it in our blessings? He's king of the universe. He's king. He's king. He's always the king. That idea, you know, that concept of him being the king and our responsibility to the king is what gives us a better understanding and it's the way that we know him. You cannot know him if you will not obey him. You cannot. Do you want to know if you don't know him very well? How are you doing? How are you doing at obeying Him? You know, people say, do you have a relationship with God? And a lot of people say, oh yes, I have a relationship with God. And they may describe it in very, very nice religious terms. And the relationship is borne out, not by what they describe, but by what they do. How, how well do they consider His words? Do they consider His words operable in their lives? Well, yeah, I know that's good for most people, but I don't take it that way, as some people might say. Well, yes, yes, I know, I know that's what it says, but that's not what it means, at least not for me. Right? Those, we've, we've heard phrases like that. We've said phrases like that. So, it's, it's more than just some magical name. It is the very essence of who he is. Again, if we could even use the word essence to describe him. His very character. It is his person. It is the most intimate thing about him, his name. Go to Malachi, verse 3, chapter 16 through 18. That's the last book, just before, in, in most English Bibles, uh, if you have a complete Jewish Bible, it's not, it's not, or a Tanakh, it's not the last one, those are Second Chronicles, but it's, uh, it's the end of the prophets. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, and it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him 
For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name, fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, what we saw uh, in the last lesson, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them. And, and as a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So we, we see this relationship between Shema. It says, God gave attention and heard it in remembrance of the book. God hears. What does God hear? You know, he recognizes those who fear him. And it has a it has a purpose in our lives, right? So uh, go to uh, the next passage is Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-four. We looked at this uh, last year as we went through uh, the book of Matthew. Who knows this song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Do you know the end of the song? Do you know the last stanza? Most people don't. Let's talk about it. Um, chapter twenty, uh, chapter seven, verse twenty-four. Huh? The rains came down, a house fell down. The rains came down, a house fell down. But the last verse is this. Actually says, "So you shall build your house upon the rock," and then it talks about hearing him. So let's read what it says. See, I don't even know the words. I, don't, I never learned it as a kid. I learned the first two verses and that was it. There was a third verse. There's a third verse that actually makes the point of this parable. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Yeshua speaking, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house and it fell and great was its fall. As And so it was when Yeshua had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, what is it? What is, who is the wise man? Who hears? Who hears, right? Is the wise man. Who hears these words and acts on them. Right? The wise man is someone who hears and acts. Who's the foolish man? <laughs> someone who hears and doesn't act. Funny, I thought it was all about where you built your house, on rock or sand, Right? What is building your house on a rock? That's right. Well, it's hearing and obeying. Hearing and obeying. It's very unfortunate that we actually have to have those two separate like that because our minds require it to be separate. It wouldn't it be perfect if it was just one. Hearing is the same thing as obeying. You know what you, know what you do? You, your kids don't pay attention. I'm no, I'm none of you. Some people's kids don't pay attention. <laughs> Some people's kids don't pay, pay attention. And, and what is it that, as they're not paying attention, that a parent might say, Do you hear me? <laughs> Are you listening? Or how is it that some, some husbands and wives, I know you hear me, but you're not listening to me. <laughs> right? It's going one ear and out the other. We have all of these phrases and idioms to describe people who use their organs for hearing and yet do not act upon it. 
that actually is completely devoid. The fact that the word hear and obey are the same word in Hebrew, that's completely devoid in, the, in biblical thought. If you hear it, you will obey it. Why? He's the king. Do you understand? He's the king. What, 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 there's no choice. I mean, there's really no choice. He's the king. And if he's the king, what, what, why would I not obey him? Or, more importantly, well, I'm not going to obey him. He's not the king. Right? To say he's the king... And to not act like it is completely contradictory. He, he cannot be the king. Or he's not my king. Well, that's it. Well, he's not my king. And actually, this is one of the greatest things. This is a very precious thing we've been given. I want, I want to encourage you. The idea of Shema and to hear and obey is actually a great privilege. Because in the hearing and the obeying, we are in fact declaring his kingship. Not with our mouths but with our actions, where it really shows. That's where we're declaring His kingship. We are really saying His king. When we, and it's not just the big things. It's in the little things. Do you bless God after you eat? That's a little thing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. That's a little thing. It's a little thing. What's the big deal? Okay, I thank Him for, I thank him for the food before, right? Well, actually, the command is thank him afterwards. Do you do that? If you do that, that's a little thing. Wow, you have declared his kingship. You actually listen to what he says and do it. The little things build into big things. And that's this parable is a great example of this. He built his house on a rock. How do you build a house? And we're not talking prefab. Right? How do you build a house? One brick at a time, or one stone at a time, or one board at a time, each and of themselves are small and insignificant and certainly couldn't be lived in. But put together, they actually amount to something. And this is our lives. This is exactly what our lives are. Are there flaws in your house? There are flaws in my house. There are flaws in everybody's house. But what is the house? Is it a house or not? Is it built on a rock or not? Right? That's, and that's... His point is, those who hear my words and do them, I liken to a wise man. And that, you know, the, fun, the funny thing is, the parable in people's mind is, the wise man builds his house on a rock and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And oftentimes what's missing is what the parable means. We do that with parables. We do. It's unfortunate. We find the story much more appealing to us if we don't have to do anything about it. Par- parables are not theology. Parables are always calls to action. Always. They don't teach obscure theology. I know people like that. They never do. You can take the theology that comes out of peril and throw it away if you won't do what the point. Make the decision he's asked you to make. Let's go to hearing and following. Uh, and this is from... And you can read off here. I just like to look it up in my Bible because I always like the uh, words surrounding. John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. Not only that, I like turning the pages. <laughs> John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It's good to turn the pages. That's right. It's good to turn the pages. They are rolling the scroll, however you describe it. Uh, Actually, start, start up in chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is as is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the door opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
Our master's voice is the way that we is the way that we know how to follow. If you can't hear, you cannot follow. If you will not obey, you can't be his disciple. Is that true? I mean, don't we know a whole lot of people who claim to be the disciples of Yeshua that don't obey? Is it possible to not obey and be a disciple of the Master? Is that possible? How is it possible? Certainly, we all have, we all have excursions. Uh, we all have excursions away from obedience. No question about that. But the question is, is someone, can someone have a life of disobedience claim to be a follower of the one who calls and they don't respond? Which sheepfold are they a part of? Are they one of his sheep? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult problem. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it's an easy answer. The problem is, though, Scripture is very clear. If you love me, you obey me. Go to the first occurrence here, and this is uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. There's a lot of times we hear things we shouldn't respond to. Same word. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Um, this is in the garden. And uh, this is after the sin of uh, Adam and Eve. And they, speaking of Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is the first use of the word... Uh, um, excuse me, that's not the first. I, were, I read a good one, though. Heard the, heard the voice. That's not the same one. It's the first occurrence is verse 17. Excuse me. No, it is verse 8. That's right. They heard the sound of the... Uh, the vo- uh, yeah, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden... Does he make a sound when he walks? Does he walk? I mean, do you, do you ask those questions when you read Scripture? He should. He makes a sound when he walks? What's the cool of the day? What's the cool of the, do I know what the cool of the day is? And they hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. He has a presence. Can you see it? As the Lord God walked them on the trees of the garden. He's, in the, he's among the trees of the garden. He walks among the trees of the garden. I thought he was everywhere. He's everywhere and he's not everywhere. How's that work? He's local and he's universal. That's not theological thinking. That's actually good sound observation when you read. <laughs> Uh, I don't have answers. I'm just asking questions, which are good. You get a perfect example of that in Genesis 19, I think it's verse 24, 25, where it says, Hashem rang down fire and brimstone from heaven. Hashem rang down from Hashem in heaven fire and brimstone on yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Like That's right. Can't do, yeah. Obviously, can't. Yeah. Uh, we we see it actually in an earlier passage in Genesis chapter eighteen where it says and and mm-hmm. Abraham stood before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Actually, it says the Lord stood before Abraham, but in Hebrew, mm-hmm. but they switch it around in English because it's uncomfortable. <coughs> it says the Lord stood before Abraham. He stands before Abraham. How does he stand before Abraham? How's that possible? He's the king. Isn't he everywhere? I thought he was invisible. Paul says he was invisible. Anyway, let's move on. These are just questions I'm throwing out. Um, not because I have answers, because I definitely don't. Um, go to First John chapter 2. 
First John chapter two. We've already alluded to it a couple times. This is a difficult, a very difficult reference here. John two. John two is or first John rather. First John was written so that you might know that you have eternal life. Uh, it's a great, great little book. Uh, great challenge for us. Right up there with the book of James as far as challenging our theology. To put the rubber uh, where the rubber meets the road. What are our actions? First uh, John's a tough book. Here's what he says. First John chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, remember, talk about fear. Fear. Fear of being, fear of shaming, of being ashamed, right? If you know, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Is that generally the way we discuss it? Usually we discuss righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? From Romans. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Also, it's a quote from Isaiah. Our righteousness is filthy rags. All have sinned. You know, everyone has sinned. No one is righteous. No, not one. What does it say here? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him and does not shrink away from his coming. Uh, boy, I mean, uh, what, is, what, did Abraham, what did Adam and Eve do? They had sinned, and so they had to hide. When they heard his voice, when they heard the voice of him walking, uh, when they heard the sound, actually the word is voice, uh, Cole, when they heard his voice walking in the garden, they had to hide themselves because they'd sinned. And yet, what do we see? Those who act righteously or practice righteously don't have to hide themselves. They don't shrink away from his coming. They anticipate it. Uh, now, I know a lot of people think about this. Well, what am I going to do when I stand before the judge? Uh, and in fact, we read some of the sages, their fear of standing before the judge of the universe, you know, they're weeping saying, you know, uh, uh, I think it was Yochanan ben Zakai uh, in the first century, weeping because, and his disciples said, Master, why are you weeping? He said, today I will die, I'll stand before the righteous king, the righteous judge, and what will I answer him? You know? And of course, some people look at that and go, how sad, you know, he lived his life this way. Actually, he's a great man of faith. <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily say, say that's sad. It's not a bad response <laughs> to think that, what will I answer him? It's a recognition that I have nothing of my own to offer. Even my obedience is less than perfect. I, you know, I did my best is not good enough when you stand before the king. You think we're in trouble when you think we're too worthy or worthy enough? Worthy enough. That's right. Are we worthy enough? See the see the see the dichotomy that Scripture gives us. The, on the one hand, telling us to act as if we're worthy, and on the other hand, saying you can never be worthy. Act righteously, and on the one hand, on the other hand, says you are not in a position to be declared righteous in and of yourself. You do ninety nine percent pure is not pure. Right? Is that ivory soap? <laughs> 99% is not pure. Right? It's not pure. 99% righteous is not righteous. And that's what Paul's making the point. But on the other hand, Scripture tells us and declares us righteous and says those who practice lawlessness, uh, those who practice lawlessness, those who practice righteousness. First John, that word practice is in the active tense, which means you keep on doing it. You know, just like, well, I try. Every once in a while I do the right thing. Whoa, isn't that great? Hey, 
put something in my column for me, you know. Uh, you know, there's two columns. There's one column, you know, the things I did wrong, and then there's the things I did right. And hopefully I'll balance it out, right? I'll have more of what I did right than what I did wrong. So every little chance I can, I put something in that column. That's not at all what this is talking about. That's not even close to what this is talking about. That is actually wicked. That's not righteousness. The righteousness that it's speaking of, those who practice righteousness, it's because they've taken the yoke of the kingdom of God. It's because they've taken his yoke upon them and said, you're the king, you are worthy of this, and I'm your subject, what else can I do? That's not someone who's earning their way to heaven. That's someone who has recognized the king has called them. And as, this, as his subject, what a, what a wonderful thing to declare his kingship in everything that we say and do. It's a powerful, powerful difference. It's completely an opposite from one another. But it's difficult to explain, isn't it? I don't know about you. I'm often accused of working for my salvation, which is something that everybody always does when they look at somebody else's religion. Uh, there's no religion that I know of on earth that says, yeah, we believe in working for salvation. <laughs> everybody claims they don't believe that. Right? Why? Because we all know that we're that we're not very successful at it, <laughs> huh? Judaism certainly does not believe in working for your salvation. Absolutely not. no. Pardon? Well, yes, actually, it's much more involved than that. But the point is that just like we described, Yochanan's response. Uh, yeah. The word merit is a very difficult. It's not the earning of the merit of. Yeah. Interestingly enough, we talk about we talk about merit. Uh, Judaism in the prayers talks about merit, and yet what does it say? It says, "Not by our merit do we appeal to you." Uh, Yom Kippur is a perfect example where we say we are guilty, and we go through all the lists of sins that it's possible for man to do, and say we're guilty of all this. So obviously, it's not merit. Uh, the word merit is actually it's it's almost as if the word merit is sometimes mis construed by us reading it in English. The merit of the fathers is claimed, and yet at the same time it's recognized that they themselves trusted God, and to them it was granted merit. Abraham, uh, chapter 12 of of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Perfect example. So, yes, I mean, I suppose that it's difficult when you read that word and, and and don't go all the different places that word takes you to think that somehow Judaism believes in salvation by works, but it doesn't. It's salvation by grace. We've been chosen as the people of God. Of course, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. It's very difficult when you do righteous deeds and make keeping of commandments, mitzvot, a priority to not be accused of working for your salvation. There's a difference between doing because it says so. That's right. And doing because you love God. And you don't do for your salvation. You just do because you love God. So even, even, even if I were to burn in hell, I should still do. Because I love God. You know, I'm, isn't it easier when you write to his Torah on your heart? Of course, absolutely, no question about it. But that you know, I mean, it, but that's his deeds again. He, he's doing it. But the question is our response. And this is what we're getting to is not what God has done, but what's our response. All of these words in this book that with this workbook we're using, fifteen words are all our response to what he has done. And that's why the book of James is difficult because it's talking about our response to what he's done. 
Paul is, is lofty in his explanations of what God has done for us. So it's easy to take James and Paul and say, well, they're opposites and they're not at all. One starts describing and the other finishes describing our response. Our response to what God has done. Go to, um, let's look at this first occurrence chronologically. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And this actually happened first. Um, the other time it says they saw it, but actually the first occurrence of the word hear the voice is actually what I was alluding to is basically something that's bad. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, 17. This is after Adam sinned and they were hiding, of course. And, and uh, uh, God tells him, then to Adam he said, because you have listened, and that's the word Shema, to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. He listened to the voice of his wife. Is it bad to listen to the voice of your wife? Cursed, certainly not. But it's bad to listen to the voice of your wife if she's telling you to do something that God has told you not to. What did he do? This is, the per- this is a great example. What did he do? Who was king? It wasn't God. Right? It was his wife. I mean, obviously, this is a contrast. It doesn't have to be a contrast. You know, when you get up in the morning and you make decisions throughout the day, sometimes it's not a decision between right and wrong, right? Sometimes it's just a decision whether you're going to bless God or whether you're going to act in a way that he's king in that moment. That's that positive idea. This is what Lewis alluded to. This positive idea of our response, our love for him, is to obey him. When we pick up out of the blue, you know, and do something that is right or respond in a right way, where if we didn't do anything at all, it wouldn't be wrong. Proactively, right? That active involvement. An example of that, and it's just an example, is, 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 the, is the idea that, that we bless God a hundred times a day. I'm not saying we all do, but that's the idea. We bless God a hundred times. How do you bless God a hundred times a day? Well, because every time I consciously make a choice to obey Him, I say a blessing before us. Why would I do that? Because I want to recognize it makes it it makes it it makes it all the more poignant for me that what I'm about to do is because he's king, not just because I feel good about it, but I'm about to do it because he's king. Uh, blessing God before blessing him. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to bless you, and now I'll bless you. Uh, actually, if you look at the prayer service, that's exactly what you do throughout it. You bless him before you bless him. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I'm about to I'm about to pray, and so let's bless before we pray. <laughs> um, that any chance you can is the point. Any chance you can, and that idea of choosing right, even when there's not a choice between right and wrong, is a very powerful, powerful thing. If you begin to make that a lifestyle, choosing right things, even when there's not a choice between right or wrong. Is, is will begin to actually help your right and wrong choices too. It becomes much easier to say, well, I'll do, I'll do if that's easy, because God said, don't do that, well, I can do this, right? Do you pray before you eat? He never told you to. Why do you do that? Yeshua gave us a perfect example, because that's what he did, right? So it's Actually, it's a rabbinic tradition, but he did it. He did it, so why do you do it? Well, you do it because you probably were, you have that culture, but you do it because, and you think about it when you do it, right? Mm-hmm. We're not even told to do it. You do it. Why would you do it? See? You didn't have a choice not to. It just didn't even come to, come to mind. We don't ever eat before we pray, right? Well, that's positive. That's good. All those decisions you can make that are just positive actions 
where no negative choice, if you didn't do it, it's okay. I know it doesn't seem like it. Culturally, we go, oh, man, that's awful. You didn't pray before you ate. <laughs> but the point is, the point is, though, if you don't, it's, it's not wrong. Yes. I have one example. I've learned this about 25 or 30 years. But he is faithful and little. He's faithful and much. Right. So I do all my, every time I push the cart, I go to the cart. I can get Harris here. I pick up. That's right. I say that, I say that first. I said it over. Very good. You, I don't know if those of you back heard. Susie was telling us. When she just pushes the cart back into the grocery store, she thinks of that verse where it says, He who is faithful and little is faithful. Uh, I said first day out loud to myself. <laughs> If you don't do it, is it wrong? No. There's a place for you to put them out there in a the parking lot. Why is she going to the extra effort? Nobody even, maybe nobody even sees it. Actually, I think people probably do. But maybe nobody even sees it. What about the things that people don't see? That's what we're talking about. This, this kind of thinking of God as the king and choosing in advance to every moment be thinking of ways that you can bring glory to him because he's king when people don't see or when they do see, when whether it's commanded for you to do it or not, that's what we're talking about. Well, you don't have to confess everything that you did. <laughs> but she brings up a great point. She brings up a great point. It's easier. I think, I know from my own life, it's easier for me when I'm given the choice between what I know is certainly right and certainly wrong, it's easier for me to choose the right. If by... If by lifestyle I'm constantly choosing the right, even when it's not a choice. Even when it's not a choice. When someone comes and, and is rude to you and you respond in a compassionate and, and kindly way, it's much easier if your life has already been filled with those very points where you go out of your way to be kind to people where you're not given a choice of somebody being rude to you. If you by nature or by, by experience, it's not by nature, if you by experience make it your point to be friendly, that when someone who is an enemy to you presents themselves, it's much easier to be friendly to them. Now that is a command. Right? It's like athletic. The best athletic players usually are the ones who go outside of practice time that's right. Study or to, or to work on things. That's right. The ones who exercise do, in their muscles. The ones who do just enough to get by usually are mediocre. That's right. Well, ath- athletics is a perfect example. You train with greater weights than it takes for you to succeed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's move on. Uh, by the way, th- this this idea that each moment is a choice to, to Shema. Each moment is a choice to Shema. It says the idea, the voice of God, the voice of my flesh, the voice of the devil, or the voice of the world. All have a voice. And there's something constantly. And usually it's your flesh. Oh, come on. You don't need to do everything all the time. Right? I mean, look, it's not wrong if you don't do it. That's the way your voice of your flesh actually speaks. People try to make it seem if you do do it, it's wrong. Well, and that's, another, that's a totally another issue. Uh, and honestly, just between you and me, and all everybody else is listening. <laughs> just between you and me. When, I get, when, I, when I'm presented with that choice, I glorify God because Yeshua has said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And if someone says, when you do that, I just think you're just, I think you're kind of, it's just self-righteousness. You're legalistic. You know, just smile and say thank you. <laughs> because in the end, you know, in that moment, they just did you a great favor because they blessed you. 
Not intentionally, but they have. They've brought blessing to you. Uh, so, uh, and yes, I am oftentimes criticized for very, very much the same thing. Go to Romans chapter 10 and we'll finish up with this. Romans 10, verse 13. <laughs> I can't believe you're rushing home on Friday night. You're so legalistic. <laughs> My boss loves it. Rick, you need to get out of here. That's what he says. You, it's 4.30. What are you still doing around here? I'm serious. Isn't that great? That's great? And I want to say, look, persecute me about this a little. <laughs> <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? This is, a pro- this is a process he's speaking of. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is from Isaiah. Quote, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But I say, who have they not heard? Yes, indeed. The sound has gone out in all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So what we see here is that there's a process. Hearing and obeying comes before faith. I know it doesn't seem that's possible. People say, no, no, I'm waiting for the time when I'll have faith and then I'll, then I'll act out, then I'll step out and obey God. No, no, you need to obey first. Shema, you need to hear and obey first and then you can expect that you'll have the faith. Wow, that seems, seems like you have to have faith first, right? No. Faith comes after you choose to obey. That's, it seems almost counterintuitive. Like, that's impossible. I have to believe God first, don't I? Well, yes, but belief of God is obeying Him. So, this whole idea, what comes first, is actually obedience. People say, you know, I can't do that because it will seem fake. Because I don't really feel that's it. You know, I don't really feel it right now. So, if I obey God in that, you know, I'm not, it's not really sincere. And Yeshua wants us to be sincere, He says, as a man thinks, right? So, if it starts in the heart, so I've got to change my heart first. I'll pray and ask God to change my heart. He will not change your heart if you will not obey Him. He won't. You could ask him, Lord, I need to know your will. I don't know if this is a good job or a bad job. I mean, got three choices here. That's a good thing, by the way. I got three choices here. Which one should I take? I want your will. Well, unless one of the jobs is illegal, that has nothing to do with it. You don't want his will. You just want it all to go well. You, you've equated his will with going well. So I promise you, if you'll do what he tells you to do, you'll always be in his will. And it'll always go well, even when it doesn't feel like it. He's promised it. Psalm 19 says it. Psalm 1 says it. Yes, ma'am. He said he gives his spirit to those who obey him. That's right. Exactly right. You know, we... See, we want to make it all... I'm sorry. We all want to make it magical. We want to make it something that requires no effort on my part. A rabbit out of a hat. The sprinkling sprinkling of fairy dust. Miracles come as a result of obedience. God certainly works in mysterious ways and He always accomplishes His purpose even among those who will not obey Him. But if you want to, if you want to experience the life of a subject of the King of the universe, you must shema. You must hear and obey. Uh, look at Moses. Uh, this is the expert on shema. 
uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 19. I said that was the last thing. I just got to do this one real quick. I know it's late. Those of you who need to leave, please do. Exodus 19, verse 19 says, And when the blast of the trumpet sounded, and that's shofar, sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. This is the man that we need to understand. He, Shemad, always. There was a time in his life when he maybe he didn't. But we find it so infrequent. And certainly towards the end of his life, he is the mark of obedience. He's saying, there's no one humble like him. In fact, John, John, Yeshua, in John chapter, 45, John chapter 5, verse 46 says, If you want to know me, you need to know Moses and listen to his words. In fact, if you don't believe Moses, you'll never believe me. There's a big, big condemnation about a lot of people who like to denigrate Moses. So, a, a, a great example. If you want a pattern of life, Yeshua is the perfect life, but you want to see how it looks in... in Frail terms, look at Moses. He's the humblest of all men. Numbers chapter 12. No one is humble like me. And I speak to him. God said, I speak to him face to face. As a man speaks to another man. As a friend speaks to a friend. I speak to him face to face. So when you, when you choose to obey, you can expect, you can expect, as you continue to choose to obey, that you will hear even more. Let's praise, let's praise God and bless Him. Father, we do thank You for the chance, for the opportunity, for the uh, purpose that You've given to us to glorify You in all that we say and do. Teach us what it is uh, um, that distracts us, that pulls us away from You, so that we can uh, turn our backs upon it, so that we, can, uh, that we can look the other way. Teach us to look to You and to Your commandments, Father, to be faithful, even in the little things, to choose the things that are right and good, even when there is no choice. We thank you for all that you've done. In Yeshua's name, amen.